He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney. He is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, June 24, 2023. Summer is here. Summer of consequence for Trump, for Putin, and our podcast is helping to make it happen. We have a super special guest, Jim Beneman, great star televisions for many decades. You know, he used to be at Channel 9. He even worked in D.C. But he got best known as the late-night anchor at News 4, Channel 4, and he's been there for a long time. Just retired, moved up to Eagle, Colorado, as you will hear. He's great. We talk about so much. After he's done, we talk with our troubadour, Dave Gunders. And I got him a little shicker. Yeah, that means drunk because he was talking about his new album, What a Celebration, the album called Connected, and his song Little Hummingbird. Little Hummingbird, perfect for summer, and his song is short and sweet. And at the end of the show, before his song, we have quite the wide-ranging discussion because this was an extraordinary week. Let me tell you that we have a good feeling about things to come. And I talked with Jim Beneman about some bad things going on. You have to hit the bottom before it gets better. We talk about Trump, Trumpism, the state of modern media. We talk about politicians he's known through the years. Oh, my goodness. Barry Goldwater. He had sit-downs with Barry Goldwater. Got to know Gary Hart pretty darn well, too. Maybe he doesn't know Lauren Boebert that well, but he had to report on her and Trumpism. And how do you do that when that side is so wrong? Jim Beneman can give a master class, and he does it on this episode 154. I feel so happy as we approach this summer because I see some great things coming together. Not just the Nuggets, great draft. Julian Strother, Jalen Pickett, Hunter Tyson. Add that to the Joker. By the way, for anybody who wants good stuff to watch on YouTube, watch Adam Schiff during the first impeachment. It was like the Joker. He was that good. A lot of people just did not tune in. Like the Joker. Once they tune in, they'll realize he was great. Trump realizes he's great, and they want to wipe him out. They brought a motion to condemn him in the House, and all the Republicans went along. Former Speaker Pelosi called it out. It's a puppet act. All these Republicans just being manipulated by the puppet master, Trump, who cracks the whip. But that whip is getting grabbed by people who are turning around and hitting it back like Big Bell Barr, his former AG. And the infighting has begun, not just in America, but in Russia, too. 
the Wagner group rebelling against Putin. This could be sweet. What about Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene? That comes up as I talk with Jim Benneman and then our troubadour Dave Gunders. I really value the opinion of a wise individual like Jim Benneman. I almost said a wise guy, but he is wise and he's a wise cracker. He's always looking for a little bit of levity, and that's what we love about him. But he can be a serious guy, too. When you listen to him, he's got wisdom to dispense. And I asked him if he still felt what he told me in private, and I put it out there in public, because I wrestle with it. Should I keep talking about my former colleagues at talk radio, a medium where I made a lot of money and gained a fair amount of fame? And Jim Benneman, he'll talk about it, but he said, yeah, keep going. It's important. I think somebody has to monitor these guys. There's a podcast that monitors Alex Jones. That's tough duty. Other people monitor terrorist sites or 4chan or 8chan, like Mike Rothschild, who studies QAnon. But I know talk radio, and I know these guys, and I have to call them out, including especially my former partner from Kaplis and Silverman, Dan Kaplis, who Jim Benneman said, yeah, stay on it. He's got Taylor Rhodes on his show with Christy Burton-Brown sitting in after she got exposed by Kyle Clark today. It all comes out. But Taylor Rhodes, really the successor to Dudley Brown at Rocky Mountain Gun Owners, the people who think the NRA are wimps, and he calls out Steve Reams as a guy who's a bad guy for enforcing the red flag law. Anyway, you'll hear about that. Holy cow, Dan, how low can you let that show go? And then George Brockler, who wants to run for some political office, probably in Douglas County, Douglas County, where a lot of the Republican politicians made fools of themselves castigating Jared Polis for a weather declaration that left Douglas County out when it was really about the day before. And if they used their head, it was about even more conservative counties, which is scary that we have these kind of counties in Colorado, but we do. And Jim Benneman knows all about it because he's up there in the middle of our state now in Eagle, Colorado. And then there's George Brockler. The guy has the catbird seat, formerly occupied by Peter Boyles, who got chased away once he had to back away from the big lie as the lawsuit started flying. I've done shows about Boyles' capitulation, and you can read all about it. You can listen to the shows. But George Brockler this week, Lauren Boebert, she has an encounter with Marjorie Taylor Greene. MTG calls her a little bitch. Kevin McCarthy's upset. Controversy galore. George Brockler gets an interview from the halls of Congress and proving that he's more of a politician than an entertainer or a journalist. He does not ask her one hard question. Not one. Not even tell us about your encounter with Marjorie Taylor Greene. The guy stays away because, well, he's George Brockler, Mr. Republican. 
He can't stand Trump. He told me that a long time ago, but he won't say it on the air. He wants that job to sell, I don't know, QC Kinetics. They'll take your blood. They'll swirl it around. They'll give you a bell and see how you feel. Holy cow. There were some products I would not sell, including gun stores. All these guys sell guns galore, like Peter Boyles, who has sold out our country to sell some more guns for machine gun tours on a Saturday, where he won't even talk about current events. Right now, John Eastman's getting stripped of his bar license, and Peter Boyles once had the guts to ask a hard question of John Eastman. Eastman hung up on him, and what happens now? Boyles capitulates. Why? So he can sell another weapon for machine gun tours, put another people... Uh, put other people toward Dan Kaplan, who he says represented him on a legal matter, or his family, or his, hey, I know the truth. There was no car wreck. It was, it's just not what Boyle says it is. It never is. We are seeing some of these guys fall apart. And I don't mind pointing it out because I want our side to win, the non-authoritarian side. That's one of the reasons for this podcast. Follow Jim Benneman on Twitter because the guy is sharp, clever, sarcastic, and he makes good points about serious subjects, other times not so serious subjects. He makes a lot of great points when I talk to him during this episode 154. I think Dave Gunders and I have a hell of a conversation about current events. After you hear from Jim Benneman, this is a jam-packed, wonderful episode Enjoy. Tell a friend, subscribe, let them enjoy too. Thank you. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. (laughs) Now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblaw.com. LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. I've got to tell you, this is a thrill. 
Every night, my wife and I watched him for decades on Channel 4. His name, Jim Beneman. You know him. You love him. Jim, thanks a lot for doing the podcast. Well, uh, you you know him. I think for some people, they might just leave it there. The the, the, the you love him part, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, Craig, it's always a treat chatting. And uh, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm delighted to get the invite as always. Well, you are too modest. I just watched that outstanding feature with your children, three beautiful grown children. Congratulations. But your daughter... Summed it up well, calling you a goofy, dorky, classic dad. Is that accurate? I'd say that is accurate, certainly to my kids. And uh, you know, if that's uh, if if that's what they put on your uh, your your gravestone, that's not bad. I think that's all we can hope for is to be the dad that our kids expect and love. Full of dad jokes, and that's why we tuned in on Channel 4, because your tail was always wagging. Lee Larson used to have that expression on radio. Let them think your tail is wagging, but you had an inflection and a familiarity and love of the community that goes on that just made us trust you with the news. That's quite an obligation. Did you feel it over the decades, people relying on you? You know, it's interesting. I remember when I was getting ready to hang it up and talking with my bosses who were terrific over the years, but uh, Tim Wheeland and Christine Strain, my news director, and it was just kind of like, can I just kind of ride off into the sunset and maybe just not show up on a Monday night? And they're like, Jim, you don't, you don't really appreciate you. You know, you've, you've spent decades on the air here and people have come to respect you and, uh, and regard you as someone that they can trust, especially in trying times. So they said, no, we got to give you a little bit of a send off. And that kind of drove home to me the fact that, wow, it, it, it's nice that over those years, people did, you know, through my hard work and being associated with other great journalists, and I was kind of the point person on the set and on the newscast, but yeah, it did come to rely on me and the people that I worked with for good information, trustworthy, you know, trustworthy information. And uh, so, yeah, it was it was a good feeling, as I as I said so long that uh, uh, that a lot of people, uh, you know, had, had watched all those years that that meant the world to me. I can tell you as a native Denverite that we notice people who come to our town, make a big name, some stay, some leave, right? It's the same with sports. I think that's why we love George Carl, for example. He decided to live in Denver. Of course, John Elway, a great example. But I think of Jim Beneman because you have your roots in the Midwest. Tell us about it. But I feel like you are in Denver. My guest, episode 100, Kyle Clark, he came from upstate New York, but he right. is Denver now. How did yep. you do it, and when did you feel like you were Denver? Uh, you know, when I came out to go to Colorado State from the Chicago Burbs in way back in 74, and I always laugh, we talk now because we've had kids who've been to college and talked to other folks who've had kids who's, you know, written tuition checks over the years. But I, I remember the uh, the out-of-state tuition, out-of-state for a year at CSU in 74, was about $3,300. <laughs> and I'm afraid to ask what it is now. But uh, but anyway, it was... Uh, uh, it was it was kind of my my entree to to Colorado and it was it was great and uh, you know it just seemed like whenever I'd go away I took a job you know some jobs in small towns as uh, all of us did uh, just to to get 
experience and get to the point where we might be talented enough so that a news, news director in Denver would say, hey, we could use you, you know, we could use you here. But uh, yeah, I'd say just over the years, whenever, you know, went to Washington, D.C., came back to Denver, uh, then went to Portland, Oregon, came back to Denver. It just seemed like between uh, uh, my CSU pals and just the folks that we had met you know, as you start to raise a family, this started to feel like home and we just wanted to spend uh, the rest of our days here. So, uh, um, yeah, I'd say it was probably about 30 years ago that Denver really felt like home. And it was just like, why would we want to be anywhere else? I remember those days. I remember decades prior as well. And I, we're all trying to sort out what Denver is now as opposed oh, to what it yeah. is, was then. Uh, what do you make of it, Jim Benneman? You know, uh, it's uh, it's just remarkable. I think that you've got a place, the climate, proximity to the mountains, uh, the great universities, uh, you know, and, and smaller state colleges in the state. You just have a lot of young, cool, active people, creative, energetic, who just, you know, want want to live in Denver. And it's uh, but it is unfortunate. I know I'm looking back to, you know, about, uh, you know, family neighborhood in Centennial. Uh, that my wife and I first moved into probably in 1985. And we bought just a lovely, you know, three bedroom tri-level close to a great elementary school, I think for about 125 or $130,000. And, uh, you know, what's happening is, you know, back in the day, we all remember this is that, you know, a lot of families, when the kids were grown, mom and dad would say, well, we don't want to take care of the house. We'll move into a townhome or whatever. But these days when, you know, mom and dad who might be well into their 60s go out and look for that townhome, you know, the townhome is $800,000. So they just go back to the home that they've lived in and they have paid off. And But it just keeps generations uh, of people who might have moved on to different types of housing, and that would have opened up their homes for younger families. You know, a lot of people just aren't moving, and uh, because of the, the the price points on everything. And I would say for uh, you know a lot of the young people in the community, and I've got you know my wife and I have eight between us, and several are in Denver battling the high cost of housing. Um, you know, I think that's uh, obviously been a, a huge change. And it's uh, it's it's very unfortunate for a lot of people because it is just absolutely not affordable. And you're doing something about it. I follow you on Twitter, and I know you're active do-gooder. Up in Eagle County right now, you're doing Habitats for Humanity. Tell everybody how you are living in all parts of Colorado now. Uh, yes, my wife and I, we've uh, moved full-time up to Eagle County, and it's terrific. We're in the town of Eagle, uh, which is about maybe 35 minutes west of Vail. And uh, so we're about equidistant from Vail and Gyps are in uh, Glenwood Springs. But just yesterday, Eagle, or uh, the, the, the local Habitat for Humanity crew up here, which is just terrific like it is everywhere, uh, they just broke ground on 16 three-bedroom units that were actually donated. The land was donated by the Eagle Valley School District, and it's actually on the grounds of the Eagle Middle School. And so they're going to be uh, they're going to be building, uh, doing construction. But it's a real game changer for Habitat on this one, Craig, uh, because they're going with modular construction. Uh, which is going to be done. It's all being done at a big plant down in Buena Vista uh, that's very highly regarded. 
Um, so anyway, and, and when they open up those 16 homes in about a year, about 75 percent of them will be occupied by people who work for the Eagle Valley schools. Because as we know, our, our firefighters, our teachers, so many people in these mountain communities especially are just being forced out because they can't find a place, uh, an affordable place to live. So Habitat in, in the Vale Valley is uh, is being very aggressive and trying to put these partnerships together so that the land was donated by the school district, uh, county money was involved, state money was involved. It's uh, it's and, and obviously the donors to Habitat uh, played a huge role in it as well. But it's really cool to see the creativity and the partnerships that are going in to, to take on what's really a statewide problem. What a great organization. Of course, most of us heard about Habitat for Humanity through former President Jimmy Carter, who's still hanging in there. Talk (laughs) about a guy who set a good example how to be a former president. Good works Uh and all of that. I mean, what a contrast. And we will get into it because what do you say, and I don't know you all that well, Jim. I know your public persona, which we've already described, which is happy, upbeat. And you're kind of like me in front of a jury. I want everybody to like me. I can't afford for anybody there not to like me. So, you know, for the people on the jury, if they want to think I'm single, that's fine. If they want to think I'm married or gay, whatever, right? I don't want to offend anybody. I want everybody to vote the way I'm asking them. And I imagine it's the same in the news, but I'm pretty darn opinionated, especially as I get older. I feel like we've got some things to say, and boy, do you say it on Twitter. And I think you're a pretty deep guy, and I bet you admire Jimmy Carter. Go ahead, talk about that, or am I wrong? I mean, how did you get involved with Habitats for Humanity? I know my synagogue regularly joins in. It's just a good cause for everybody, isn't it? It is. And, uh, you know, I was just reminded yesterday that uh, uh, some of the folks who will, you know, they'll have some sweat equity in the build and everything else. And uh, the, the people who will be moving into these homes when they're finally built, several of them were there. And just the uh, uh, you just could see the pride. And uh, we chatted a little bit just and it just drives home. Uh, the significance of, you know, if, if people are lucky enough in their, their lives to have a place that they can call their own so that when they get there, that's, you know, it's kind of their refuge. It's their home for raising kids and everything else. And it really is. And I've been spoiled over the years. I mean, I growing up in Chicago, uh, you know, I always had a roof over my head and the three, three meals a day and a nice bed. And, you know, just, you know, all through life, you just take that for granted. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, folks, uh, sadly, who are homeless on the streets of Denver. You know, it's 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 people maybe who are living on the fringes, can't quite afford the rent uh, at an apartment or whatever, might be living, you know, with family or in a basement with friends or whatever. And just to, to see the happiness and the joy of these people who know that a year from now, they are going to have a stable place that they can call their own. I mean, it's just it's just terrific. And I would agree with you with uh um, you know, with, 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 with Jimmy and Roslyn, I mean, they just, uh, you, you talk about the admirable work that they've done since Jimmy left office. And, you know, certainly probably was a, a bit of a controversial president. Some people, uh, um, 
you know, you know, thought he was a, a lightweight an officer or whatever. But uh, Jimmy sure and uh, Jimmy and Roslyn sure have written the book on on how to have a, a meaningful retirement away from the presidency and getting involved in something. And it's been inspiring. And I would tell anybody, I, you know, I hope whether you're a Democrat or a hard a, you know, rock ribbed Republican, I hope you got a lot of respect for Jimmy and Roslyn Carter for what they've done and especially with Habitat. When you went to CSU, did you get involved politically? I mean, we were among the first people who could vote down at Colorado College. I got involved because a girl I liked got involved. She was, <laughs> you know, she was backing. She was from Minnesota, not far from Illinois. Hubert Humphrey was making a last gasp effort. And I liked a guy named Frank Church. People are talking yep. about him in the church committee. But this upstart Jimmy Carter won. Were you into that at all when you were going to school as a young guy? That was great. I remember uh, Frank Church from Idaho and uh, thinking of Minnesota, thinking back, I remember, uh, you know, Senator, I, I know they had Dave Durenberger, I'm trying to think, and also uh, Rudy Boschwitz, yes. who was a... Uh, who made his fortune selling like plywood. I remember Rudy Boschwitz, I think, was a two-term senator from the great state of uh, Minnesota. And then, of course, they gave us the pro wrestler, and I'm trying to recall his name. Do you remember? Yes, yes, Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura, that's right. I think he was the governor for a while. But, yeah, interesting politics in the upper Midwest. But, no, I, I probably had very little interest. I followed along because you grew up in the Chicago area with, uh, you know, Richard J. Daly, uh, just dominating the news. And, uh, you know, every morning you'd, the, the Chicago Tribune would be tossed onto the driveway. And in the afternoon, we had another great paper, the Chicago Daily News, that had the uh, the great uh, World you know, Hall of Fame columnist Mike Royko. So I did get uh, interested in politics because growing up in Chicago, if you did have an interest in what was going on, I mean, politics was a big chunk of it. So, uh, so it was interesting to, to see how things operated in the city of Chicago with all the crooked aldermen and daily and everything else. And, uh, you know, the, the, the 68 Democratic convention was, was a huge deal. I would have been 12 years old at the time. But when I got into my career, I was 25 years old and working in the uh, Boulder Bureau for Channel 9 and uh, Gannett, which uh, the big Gannett media company, uh, uh, which uh, now all the television stations are called uh, Tegna, owned by Tegna. But they said, Jim, you and your photographer, Dave, are going back to start a Washington Bureau for the Gannett-owned television stations. So, you know, a week later, I was reporting on Capitol Hill, and uh, that just... I was eager to get uh, immersed in what was going on back there because love it or hate it, it is, it is fascinating on a daily basis to see how our government works. Wow. What year was that? Right after Nixon uh, resigned or what? No, that would have been, let's see, 70. That would have been, I think I went back there. I was there from 82, oh, okay. 82 to 85. So uh, Reagan, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was there for, uh, for Reagan years and golly, we had uh, Gary Hart, um, got to cover Gary Hart and Bill Armstrong was the Republican senator from Colorado. But it was also great. I just realized that I had to pinch myself, for example, one of the stations uh, that Gannett owned was a great station in Atlanta. And of course, Sam Nunn was a uh, longtime, very prominent U.S. senator. And I'm thinking, here I am, a 25 or a 26-year-old guy, 
and I can just call up Senator Nunn's office and say, you know, can can we steal 15 minutes with Sam this afternoon? We want to talk to him about a big defense contract at Lockheed down in Marietta. And they say, oh, absolutely. So, you know, there I was just this punk uh, sitting down with somebody, uh, you know, of the stature of Senator Sam Nunn for 15 minutes and talking about a defense contract or talking with a Gary Harder, a Pat Schroeder, talked with Barry Goldwater on many occasions uh, because we had a station in Phoenix. Wow. And uh, those, those were pretty heady times for a young journalist. Let me tell I you. I can't just go by that one. Barry Goldwater. <laughs> what was he like? Uh, he was exactly how you would expect. He was frank, uh, you know, and, uh, he just sat you down. And I remember we talked to Barry on several occasions, uh, because there was this, uh, trying to remember it's become a fact of life down there, but there was this huge, I think it was the central Arizona project. It was this huge water diversion from, uh, the Colorado river that was just getting built at the time. So we would, uh, you know, we, we, we talked to the Senator on a couple occasions and they also had a Senator who got, uh, uh, his uh, his hand slapped uh, because of the Keating Five, uh, the SNL fiasco. But they had a, uh, a Democratic senator named Dennis DeConcini. And we also would talk to uh, Senator DeConcini pretty regularly about this Central Arizona project and other issues facing facing Arizona. But uh, Barry was Barry. I mean, uh, it was those were those were those were just terrific sessions. And like, you know, looking back on it now, it's like. My gosh, I was I was just a kid. And I'm sitting down there with Barry Goldwater talking about uh, uh, some some issue facing uh, Arizona. And so it was pretty awesome. I'm trying to figure that guy out. I was I mean, we're almost exactly the same age. So yeah. one of my first memories was that Daisy ad, right? And nuclear explosion. And we were more more or less warned that if Barry Goldwater was president, we would start a nuclear war. That was the gist of the ad. It scared the crap out of me. As an adult, <laughs> I came to realize that, you know, he was a big opponent to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and people had to take a stand. Were we going to allow discrimination by restaurants, hotels, against people based on race, uh, immutable yep. characteristics? And he opposed it. I didn't know if it was a matter of principle or just because he was a racist. Yeah. And yeah. and did you get any sense of that? You know, I didn't. I'm thinking back on it, uh, Craig, I, you know, the uh, we, 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 we were given limited time with these folks when we were able to get in to see them. And, uh, you know, just tried to stick to the script and had to be laser focused on the mm -hmm. issue that we were talking about at that moment. So uh, uh, I didn't did not get any. And uh, but that's uh, sad to hear about the. Uh, you know, the opposition to the, the, the civil rights legislation, the you know, the, the landmark uh, decision back in, in the 60s or the, the legislation back in the 60s. But, uh, uh, you know, knowing knowing Gold, Goldwater, I, I, I'm not surprised by that. He did have the integrity to go to Nixon toward the end and say, you're done. Something that current Republicans don't have the stature or the courage to do with respect to Trump. Uh, that's how I feel about things. And following your Twitter feed, I, I know that you sometimes wander into social justice issues. On the subject of race, I've kind of been startled during the Trump era to see how much racism and bigotry is out there. Uh, the Proud Boys, etc. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Were you surprised by that, Jim? Growing up in Chicago, maybe you had a better perspective on it. I, I, I really... 
thought Denver, there wasn't a lot of racism here, but tell us your perspective on all of that. You know, I was surprised by the breadth of the, uh, uh, the, the issue, if you will, and certainly it's just a cancer on, uh, on American society. Uh, you know, that we knew that it lingered and, uh, you know, we would see it, maybe it was, uh, you know, the, the, the Nazis marching here, uh, or, you know, now you talk about the proud boys or whatever, but, uh, just the, the, the scope of the problem, because, you know, like you, I'm sure I've certainly always tried to surround myself and instill in my kids with just with, you know, people, uh, who that's just, just, just something that, uh, to be despised and, uh, and, and, uh, loathed, but, uh, yeah, to, to see the extent of it in this country at this day and age, um, uh, was was certainly startling. And the fact that, you know, we all think about, uh, you know, think about the Deep South and areas like that, but uh, but truly all over the country. And, uh, you know, even in, uh, you know, leafy affluent suburbs all over this country and uh, and elsewhere, the the amount of racism that's uh, uh, that's that's hung on is, uh, you know, it's tragic and it continues to drive whether it's policies or whatever or drives people to oppose things I think that uh, uh, could, uh, uh, you know, help us have a more just society. And uh, uh, so, yeah, whether it's how things are going to be shaking out in the Supreme Court about affirmative action, uh, you know, the game's changed because the Federalist Society pretty much uh, was uh, pretty much determined who was going to be sitting on uh, the federal bench all over this country under the Trump administration. And uh, I just a giant step backwards. Now, you know, uh, wait a second, Jim, I have to stop you for a second because you're you've taken a shot at the Federalist Society and they fairly bought and paid for the best Supreme Court justices they can find. Right. And (laughs) I mean, and, and, and tell the truth. You and I, if we got to have a yacht vacation or a private jet flight where somebody was going to throw a big fish into our hands so we could pretend we caught it, I mean, who knows what we would do in exchange for that. So, isn't it ridiculous? It occurs to me that you spent the last part of your career during this Trump era. It had to be a lot different for you. For example, when he told the Proud Boys, to stand back and stand by during that debate, you probably yep. had to report that. And and how do you report such a thing without commenting and saying, what the hell? Yeah. Well, you know, you have to, and, uh, you know, the, the pick, the pictures and the copy tell, uh, tell the story, but, uh, yeah, I was thinking about that. You know, uh, I remember there was a, it was a bit of a, a scandal among uh, Denver media. This would have been back in like the eighties because every year, uh, winter park, uh, would send out uh, lift tickets, uh, just like all the reporters in town and people. And, uh, you know, people would take advantage of it. Go, oh, that's that's a nice little perk. Thank you very much. Well, you know, finally, finally you know, some news directors or you know, one news director, uh, you know, was said, this is total BS. We can't have it's a gift. You can't accept a gift uh, from a, a major ski resort that we cover. Uh, is it so? I mean, as is, is, is a news anchor, a journalist at Channel 4, I mean, let's say, you know, there was a business that we covered or there was an issue we covered and somebody said, you know, hey, Jim, uh, would, uh, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with the, the storyline that you're covering, but I've got two free abs tickets right down on the glass and, uh, you know, would like to just give them to you. You know, you can't accept stuff like that. And we're, 
you know, we're, we're journalists working in the city of Denver, but apparently some people on the high court think it's okay and are able to, I just, uh, and I'm shocked. I'm just absolutely shocked that somebody uh, of, of the legal brilliance of, of like a Samuel Alito would say, no, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I don't see the problem. It's, you know, that the conflict of interest, especially when the person who invited them has regular business before the court, um, you know, for, for him and, uh, and Clarence Thomas to try to weasel their way out of it um, is just shocking to me. I just, I can't recall, you know, going back to, uh, you know, whether it's the, the, the Warren court or the Burger court or whatever, it just seemed that there was, uh, you know, no matter, you know, where the, the justices stood on, you know, major issues of the day, um, I, I would like to think that, you know, that would not have been tolerated, but, but who knows? I don't know. Maybe all the way through the history of the court, those kind of shenanigans were accepted and just, you know, kept in the background. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad we're hearing about it now. It's something to discuss. No, they weren't kept in the background. When it came out that Abe Fortas had a financial entanglement, oh, far yeah. less than yeah. this, he had to uh, step down. And it comes yeah. back to Republicans unwilling to stand up to these guys and say, hey, you can't do that. But nobody will in the Republican Party. Maybe if Barry Goldwater would have. I, I doubt it. I don't. I never met the man. I'm still stunned that yeah. you met him uh, and and all those interesting people that you met and the effect of Trumpism and this current Republican corruption. That's what I would call it, corruption. Money corrupts, power corrupts. And yeah. and that's what we're seeing going on. And and it's really affecting the rule of law in this country. But I want to talk to you about the media, because yeah. what is the health of the media in the Trump era? And how does this trickle down to uh, Channel Four and local outlets, or does it? Uh, I th I think it does, and I uh, certainly it trickles down to the degree that uh, you know overall uh, you know Trump uh, you know uh, pretty much not only made it okay to to hate traditional media, uh, he actually encouraged people to hate traditional media, and that gave us the rise of Fox News, of course. And uh, but uh, so anyway, I know that just in Denver, for example. You know, uh, uh, just uh, with Channel 4, we had a sensational, still do, Sean Boyd, a sensational political reporter. And I watched Sean's work over many, many years, and it was, you know, right down the middle, extremely fair, unbiased, and uh, just going out of her way to make sure that everyone who had an opinion or a stake in an issue uh, had a chance to talk about it and get their two cents worth in. And uh, just watching Sean sweat it out, and she would come out with just a terrific piece on a complicated issue or a ballot measure. And she'd say, you know, it doesn't matter. There's always going to be the people these days who, you know, say, you know, your typical mainstream media lefty or whatever. And uh, yeah, so um, I, I, it has trickled down in that regard. Um, and I think, you know, sadly, I think it's it trickled down to the point that, you know, you can look at... Uh, you know, the, 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 you know, I missed the newspaper war in Denver, but uh, so few readers now that the Denver Post, uh, you know, those folks who are at the Post work so hard to put out a good product, but there just aren't enough folks in the newsroom uh, to, to really do the job I'm sure that those folks would like to do. And it's just, you know, it's sad. You know, people call it, you know, Limbaugh called it the drive-by media and people call it the mainstream media. Well, 
might be mainstream because back in the day, uh, you know, the, the mainstream was you had a lot of, you know, trained journalists coming out of, you know, great institutions, journalism schools, and being taught how to go work sources and get stories that are important to America. Um, and uh, it's just bad. It's just unfortunate, especially on the print side, uh, that so many newspapers are just struggling to even survive. So we're only going to be left of the people, you know, it's going to be left of the folks like the Fox News's who are just, you know, screaming from one side or another and, uh, you know, just going for ratings or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's sad. I, and I know all the stations in Denver, you know, we don't have anywhere near the audiences that we used to. Uh, the stations, the newsrooms are still, uh, you know, thriving and the companies that support us realize it's important and give us the, uh, the resources that we need to get the job done. But yeah, it's, it's, it's too bad what's happened. Right, because there's such potential there. Same with yeah. radio. Look what's happened with talk radio. You brought up Rush Limbaugh, who was entertaining, and his tail always seemed to be wagging, but he was a racial uh, provocateur, and he did stir up this hatred of the media, which other people glommed on to on yeah. talk radio, and then Donald Trump is a would-be talk radio host, and everybody follows his lead. And to me, it's just disgusting because it's totally in the tank. Here on Friday morning, Lauren Boebert, who, to the consternation of Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, <laughs> introduced her impeachment resolution, apparently just copying Marjorie Taylor Greene, who called her a little bitch <laughs> on the floor of the House. There's video. Yeah, yeah. And I speculated on Twitter, who's going to get the first interview with Bobo? And it's George, <laughs> George Brockler, and I predicted no hard questions. Do you know what he brought up? Nothing. He didn't even say, tell us what happened with MTG. He wouldn't even go there. And then he spent the next 10 minutes reading her resolution to impeach Joe Biden. It's ridiculous. I mean, you had to cover Lauren Boebert. Could you, did you ever get a little, I don't know, did your facial expressions change? Or how do you keep a straight face reporting on her? You know, probably, you know, it's, it's interesting. We just, uh, because uh, you know, was, there was some hand wringing at our newsroom, and I'm sure all the newsrooms in town. For example, whether it was uh, uh, like the divorce, or there was that incident at their home, yes, where, where her husband got into it with a neighbor, and I think there might have been some uh, some pistol waving involved, or whatever, and some drinking and driving, and yeah, he, I, he mowed down the neighbor's mailbox. There was nine one one tape. And I bet your newsroom had a debate whether to play that or not, right? We did, and I don't think we covered. I, I right. honestly don't think that we covered it because, um, you know, it was it, we, it was kind of uh, I interesting in terms of, you know, if if we did that, we'd we'd have to give Bobert uh, so much more coverage than you'd give like you know uh, other members of the delegation or whatever, and so. I think we just pretty much ignored it. And I certainly don't know if that was the right call. But, for example, that uh, that matter that you were just talking about, I don't know if that ever made it onto the air at Channel 4. I can't recall. Not sure how the other stations, uh, you know. You I, mean, I think it's you mean the, the little bed chin counter with Marjorie Taylor Greene? <laughs> they, they had a previous dust up in the toilet area. I mean, yeah. this should be a reality show. I would watch it. I think, you know, to a point it was just we got to a point it was just Bobert being Bobert. And, uh, you know, we, we just we just let it go.
Well, we, we just let it go and didn't cover it. But, uh, you know, it's interesting, the district that I'm in now, uh, prior to uh, redistricting recently, uh, I would have been a uh, uh, in, in Boebert's district. Now we have Joe Neguse, uh, in in my opinion, thankfully. And uh, but it's fascinating. I know that uh, Boebert's uh, uh, opponent in the last race who came out of nowhere from the Aspen City Council and came within a recount of beating her. It's going to be interesting as we head towards the next election cycle. Um, you know, Adam's running full time right now trying to raise money. I'll, I'll be very curious to see how the next election uh, goes in, in terms of that district. Yes, it'll really be something. And I kind of joke about Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, but it really is serious and sad. For example, the way the Boebert family glorified guns. I mean, to me, yeah. that was disgusting. I don't know if you covered that on Channel 4 or if you'd like to comment on it now. To me... It represents everything wrong in the country. And honestly, explain this to me, Jim Benjamin. Why is John Morant in big trouble uh, for having a gun uh, out in a picture in public? And Lauren Boebert gets reelected, putting it in the hands of her four boys. Yeah, well, uh, free speech. It's not just her. I think there was also a uh, uh, perhaps a South Carolina representative who had the family posing with ARs in their Christmas picture last year, a couple of years ago. And uh, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, can I offer disgusting? I mean, you're the uh, guy you've yeah, had that. How no, many, yeah, how I, many I, shootings have you had to cover masked uh, murders? And I know it took a toll on you just to connect it with that, Jim, if you, if you want. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think uh, the the insensitivity that that displays, I think that, you know, even people who I've known in my life and, you know, kind of came from a, a Midwestern, you know, kind of waterfowl hunting family. And, you know, so there were always a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of hunting shotguns at our home and and that kind of thing and knew a lot of family, uh, you know, relatives in the upper Midwest up into Minnesota and places like that. We're, you know, avid deer hunters and that type of thing. And, uh, you know, uh, but, but certainly uh, didn't didn't glorify the fact that they owned guns. It was just a, a hobby, a recreation of theirs, the, the hunting thing. And uh, but but now, you know, it's become such a topic that, you know, people, uh, you know, flaunting and, and it's, you know, it's the Second Amendment rights and, and that's fine. But I, I think that especially to, uh, uh, to 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 showcase those kinds of weapons or whatever, uh, considering the fact that so many people that, you know, and so many stories that I've covered over the years from Columbine to the Aurora Theater shootings to the school shootings, um, you know, to the King Supers massacre up in Boulder, uh, when these types of weapons were used, I just think that, yeah, uh, the, the people who I've known through my years who've been hunters or whatever and taken advantage of their, uh, you know, their, their, their gun ownership and their rights. And that's terrific. Um, but it was nothing, certainly nothing that they wanted to glorify to make a political point. Um, so yeah, very, very sad. And I think of the people and I know the people, uh, um, you know, from, uh, the, the, the school tragedy back in Connecticut, uh, who are still fighting, you know, at the federal level and state level, uh, to, to make some reasonable changes to gun laws, and the you know the, the the brick walls they run up against. Just the people have been so deeply affected by gun violence to have them have to see that stuff from elected officials. Uh, I'm sure just you know makes their skin crawl. Yeah, you bring up Sandy Hook, and I have a rule. Yeah, 
in trying to decide who's a good person, who's bad. Alex Jones pretending Sandy Hook didn't happen, defamed those families. He's the scum of the earth. Therefore, anybody who associates with Alex Jones is similarly scum, unless they confront him about it, right? I mean, I had O.J. Simpson on, and I said, hey, I think he committed a double murder. Let's talk about it, you know? And and so Joe Rogan, to me, is a bad guy because he's friends with Alex Jones, or he gives him a platform. Donald Trump went on Alex Jones' show. Alex Jones is a bad guy. And, you know, I understand as an anchor, you want everybody to like you. And most of the time, even on gun issues, you'd say, well, on the one hand, there's constitutional right. There's, and, and there are two sides to many issues. But during COVID, it seemed like most local news and most national news, other than Fox, even Fox for a while was saying, hey, you know what? There's one right way to do this, and that's to take the vaccine and follow the government guidelines. And I'm an adherent, and I took all my vaccines and boosters, and thank goodness I I remained healthy. I don't know about you, but I I thought it was responsible for Channel 4 and Channel 9 and others to say, this is the responsible way to go. Was there a debate about that? And looking back, do you think that was right or wrong? And why was that issue treated uh, different than other issues where, where you say, well, on the one hand, this, on the other hand, that. No, I think that, uh, you know, I don't really recall us reporting much on any controversies regarding should you get the vaccine um, because there was just such, you know, I would say overwhelming evidence. And, you know, we had the Fauci's and people at the Centers for Disease Control and uh, from uh, well-established, well-recognized and respected agencies saying this is the way that that the the society should respond to this thing. It also is the Colorado State Health Department, you know, with Dr. Herlihy, Rachel over there and everybody else. So, you know, it was uh, it was certainly a you know, for, for all the people who said that, uh, you know, Fauci's a quack and, and you know, this is what uh, another study found. I just think that we, we decided early on from uh, the people who we had come to respect and trust over the years uh, at those agencies, uh, if that's what they were saying, that's what we were going to go with. And we might have, you know, we would certainly talk to individual physicians or other people who said, you know, Vaccine is great, but these are some other things that you might want to consider if you, you know, if you you, you don't want to get the, the the jab, if you will. So, you know, but but we didn't uh, we did we didn't go into you know the 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 really uh, you know deep state controversy over uh, you know how it was a you know a, a conspiracy and that type of thing. I think we we just relied on on trusted sources, and and that's the information we decided to give out at the end of the day on our newscast. Yeah, but that deep state theory, it, it, that seems to be the DeSantis campaign. And he had its own Florida medical director eventually. So what's a person to do? I mean, you've seen that major Republican candidates say Fauci's the worst and the government tried to do this and that to us. Um, it's strange times, modern politics, Uh do you ever weigh in? Do you think you will now that you're, I guess, semi-retired? You're still uh, volunteering? <laughs> to, I mean, will, will you endorse political candidates? Will you be more vocal on Twitter? You already are pretty vocal. 
Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I certainly might. I, I, you know, I don't know if there, uh, there might be a candidate, uh, you know, who uh, just happens to, to come out in support of something or or might tweet something out that I agree with. And I would, uh, you know, stamp a stamp a like on that or retweet it. But, uh, yeah, I don't think that, uh, you know, in the long run, <laughs> many people are going to take much interest in Jim Benham, Jim Benham's political endorsements. Bullsh- I, I have to I have to throw a, a baloney flag on that, Jim, because <laughs> honestly, if you said I live here on the western slope now, maybe not right in Bobo's district, but I know Adam Frisch, and he's been a guest of mine, good guy. Yeah. Jim Benham supports Adam Frisch. That can make over a 500-vote difference, and that's all it takes. So I think you can make a difference. You are making a difference on Twitter. A lot of people like me follow you. When did you get active on Twitter? And it seems to be perfect for your kind of wise-cracking humor and occasional serious point. Yeah, I just uh, get uh, over the years of... You know, and, and people would say, well, you know, Benjamin, traditional mainstream media lefty. And I would have always told people that, you know, you might think that. But you know what, Craig, I've, I've voted for a lot of uh, common sense Republicans over the years in my life over, uh, you know, over over because I just thought in that particular race, whether it, you know, was 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 a national or a federal race or like a uh, for for Congress or, you know, even a local city council or, or state representative. You know, so I voted for people on both sides of the aisle. If they're if they have show common sense in the ability to, to work together to solve, you know, difficult problems. Um, but. You know, everybody thinks that I'd probably just be this rubber rubber stamp uh, uh, Democratic uh, booster or what have you. And that's that's not the case. But, you know, the Twitter's been it's been great fun. And I will say that uh, my bosses at Channel 4 thought that I was having a little too much fun on occasion and uh, said, you know, Jim, uh, you, you really have to respect your position in the newsroom and as a representative of the station. Uh, and you really can't be uh, maybe as, as, as candid as you'd like to be. So they had to rein me in every now and then. But it, it has been great fun. And, uh, you know, certainly out there, you, there's a lot of yahoos, but I think there are a lot of really smart people on Twitter on a daily basis. And I'm always learning something from people who have a different point of view. Um, and I I do like to get in there and, uh, you know, and, and, and mud wrestle a little bit. Uh, but so, you know, pretty much once I got into it, I really got into it because I was I thought it was a just a tremendous source of information and also good fun. I totally agree. And now you are unleashed, right? Nobody. <laughs> and, I, and it doesn't have CBS4 on the end of it anymore. Just Jim Benjamin, you speak for yourself. And I'm grateful because I don't want to see you constrained at all. But I'm worried about Twitter. This perfect social media for wisecrackers and to learn a lot yeah. and, and, and uh, from respected sources, get turned on to get podcasts, stuff like that. Right. I'm worried about it. Elon Musk is a bad guy. And I sized him up that way when he retweeted that slam on a crime victim, Mr. Pelosi, after he got attacked in his own house by a guy with a hammer. What kind of scum in the earth would do that? Elon Musk, there's your answer. I make him for a bit of a bigot, and he's a Fauci hater. And yet you and I are on Twitter every day. I don't pay for anything there. But I do feel like I'm giving him a file on myself that someday in the gulag I, I might be reading. <laughs> what about you? 
you know what? Um, you know, with uh, you know, it could could be a billion followers. I, I'm not sure how many people are out on Twitter, uh, but yeah, I think it is unfortunate. Uh, you know, his uh, stewardship, if you will, of this uh, uh, the, the, this thing we call Twitter, and so many millions of people use on a daily basis. Um, but uh, you know, since he took over, I, I certainly don't have my blue check anymore because I'm not going to send him eight bucks. But I, I would say that my experience on it, I, I still find great correspondence and great news sources that uh, fill up my feed every day. And I would say that my experience personally has not changed all that much, but I do certainly follow Musk and how he's managing things. It's kind of kind of hard to avoid the guy. How do you handicap this uh, alleged cage fight between him and Zuckerberg? I make Zuckerberg uh, a five to two favorite. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see how uh, you know billionaires spend their time uh, uh, every now and then. But uh, I'd, I'd be curious to see how it goes. And I, I got to admit, I'm might n- not really in the uh, in the know about what's going on between those two guys. I, see, now that I'm retired, a lot of stuff just slips by me. Well, what, here's what, what, what happened: Zuckerberg said he's going to put out a competitor to Twitter. That would be good. Oh, and then Musk got mad and offered a cage match. Zuckerberg said, tell me the location. Now Joe Rogan's going to announce it, and it may really happen. Zuckerberg's a lot littler, but he's been training for 18 months, and Musk is kind of a fat-ass bigot, so I hope he gets his ass kicked. But I do know something. I do know something you do follow, and I do too, although a little less so because Trump has ruined this as well, the great game of golf, okay? and. Uh This live controversy, and today there's news about another Middle Eastern country trying to buy a piece of the Washington hockey team and basketball team, and now the golf tour has been taken over by, uh, you know, Mr. Bonesaw, Saudi Arabia. Are you kidding me? And I'm supposed to still enjoy golf? I'm disgusted by it. What's going on with the great game of golf? So am I, and, uh, you know, and and, and it's... You know, just the way that, uh, you know, Monaghan obviously was uh, was in discussions and he, you know, let uh, people like Rory uh, McIlroy out there to defend uh, the, the the wholesomeness of, of the PGA Tour when they were working to uh, put the, uh, the the deal together. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, sports washing at its worst. And it's, you know, very obvious what the uh, the Saudis and their sports fund are trying to do. And so for the. Uh, the PGA tour to jump in, but, you know, I will say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to vote on it with my viewing habits. And, you know, my wife and I, as soon as the news came out, we made an immediate pact and uh, there's never going to be an, even uh, if it's a great event that we would typically watch, uh, there's never going to be, never going to be golf on here uh, unless it is something unrelated to the PGA tour. So some of my golfing buddies have said, you know, We'll still have the British Open, the U.S. Open, and the Masters because they they aren't involved with the uh, the PGA. So um, those are my three events of the year that I'll be able to enjoy, and the rest of it, you know, frankly, I'll just uh, it it can no longer be a part of my life. But I I doubt I'm going to miss it all that much. But uh, just I, kind of in our household, taking a little stand against against what's transpired because it's uh, it's it's shameful. It's just shameful. I had a lot of turning points when it came to Donald Trump. Charlottesville was a big one, but reading Colorado and Rick Riley's book, Commander in Cheat. Did you ever read Riley's book about Trump and golf? I, I did, and it's about a lot more than Trump and golf. It's about the uh 
you know, Riley, uh, Rick, uh, some people don't know, uh, went to the University of Colorado, uh, was a writer for the Daily Camera, and obviously was just went on to a, just a career of brilliance in, in sports writing. Um, but it was, you know, it was Trump not just talking about Trump cheating at golf and talking to people who said, yeah, well, we know he cheats, but he's a lot of fun out there. So we, we still play with him. But it was it was I think it was the story of the guy who might have been doing like some drywall work at one of his properties in New York. And here's this guy with a little family business. And it's like a, you know, a ninety thousand dollar bill that doesn't get paid. And, you know, for Trump, he's got, you know, that in the uh, uh you know, in the sofa cushions, but for this guy and his business, that, that was a make or break thing. And, uh, so anyway, so it finally, you know, they Trump throws his legal team at it and says, we refuse to pay. And the guy finally gets a meeting with Trump and Trump says, look, buddy, I'll, I'll, I'll give you 10 grand and that's it. Take it or leave it. And just, uh, it was just so indicative of the way Trump has run his life and his, and his businesses over the years is just screwing the little guy. And uh, so it was about a lot more than golf. And uh, so I, I found it, uh, you know, I found it, you know, certainly very interesting. I do know you love golf. Rick Riley has a passion for golf. He's been a guest on my podcast. And oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, is, he, he, he is amazing. And in fact, I had him booked on my old radio show, but then they cut my mic. So I got him back on the podcast. And <laughs> at, at the end, and he reads, I don't know if you read his book or had him read it to you because he does the audio book. But his, yeah. his last, I think it was the epilogue. Because this man loves golf, and he realizes that Trump has the potential to ruin the game. And I personally feel that when the PGA took that tournament away from Doral, that, yep. that Trump vowed revenge, and he's made this dirty deal with the Saudis, and this is his revenge. Everything Trump touches turns to crap. Look at you. You won't even watch golf. I think I'm in the same boat. And, and it's just disgusting. And Rick Riley had such passion in his voice toward the end. And then I saw him at a book signing out in, uh, what do they call that, uh, shopping center way out on Santa Fe Mission Trades or whatever. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's called Apple, Apple something. Right, where, where that Apple story is. Anyway, I went to a book signing. Oh, no, you know, I'm sorry, it's uh, Aspen, Aspen, Aspen Grove. Aspen Grove. So he was doing a book signing there, and I could see it was sort of a conservative crowd, including a lot of his Colorado buddies. And uh, I just could hear him kind of pulling his punches in a way that he didn't in the book. Do you know what I mean? And at country clubs, you got to worry who's a Trump supporter, who's not. It's just such... It, it, it's sad to me that it's come down to that. And when you get paired with somebody on the golf course, you're right, afraid to right. talk about anything, right? For fear <laughs> that it's going to be a Trumpster. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, these days, uh, whenever you're out and you meet somebody new on the links, you can always chat up the uh, the Rockies run to the World Series. It's going to be a great pennant race in Denver. It's going to be one of the greatest comebacks in <laughs> history. They've got them right where they want them. Isn't that sad? Before we turn to the positives of Colorado sports, which are so many, I have not been to a Rockies game this year. And I used to go to about 25 or 31. I don't work downtown anymore, but I just love the Rockies. I always have baseball. What a love of my life. But when they right. announced before this season started that mediocrity was their aspiration, I said, right. I've got better things to do. Yeah, you, you might want to keep Dick away from the microphones and uh, 
maybe find somebody on the PR staff that can uh, chat with people like Patrick Saunders over at the Post or whatever. But uh, it is unfortunate. But, you know, I'm a guy who grew up with the Cubs. And uh, luckily, we, you know, between Banks and Sato and Fergie Jenkins, we had, we had some real superstars and Hall of Famers over the years. But uh, it was pretty lean when it came to winning National League pennants. But, you know, we always had Wrigley Field. And uh, a, a day at Wrigley Field was always a big hit. I remember uh, hopping on the L up in Wilmette and taking the train down to games, would drop us off a block from the stadium, you know, sit in the bleachers for five bucks. And, you know, th those were the days. But, you know, it's been the same thing. I think uh, I think that the Rockies um, have enjoyed this well of, uh, uh, of of goodwill over the years because no matter what the product is, it's always been so nice just to go and hang out at Coors Field for three hours because, you know, it's just a wonderful ballpark. But based on what I'm hearing, the crowd counts are finally, you know, uh, starting to, to pull back and you just can't expect to put a team that's 25 or 30 games under 500 out there every day and every night and expect fans to show up no matter how nice your ballpark is. Yeah, they could kill the Golden Goose, but someday the Montforts will sell and we can get excitement back. I'm just thinking about sitting at that Rocktober playing game with my young son and the excitement of that extra inning thriller and that World Series run. Someday, and we're going to get to the Nuggets, but first I have to indulge a little hockey because you love it so much. You know, my resentment of hockey traces back to Colorado College where I played basketball and the hockey team, they were the Division One stars. They got all the good-looking girls, you know, and, <laughs> and they got the big crowds while we played small college basketball. So... Pardon me for not being a skater or big hockey fan, but I know you are. And what's the situation with the apps? Pierre Lacroix just got honored, and what a great tradition they have. There's a team that tries to win it all every year. Am I right? No, you're absolutely right. And I think, uh, you know, with, with Stan Kroenke, uh, I mean, he's put, uh, unlike Montfort, uh, he's put the right people in the key positions, and it has to go up and down the line from – you know, the, uh, you know, your could, could be your, your person who scouts Eastern Europe for young talent, uh, for both hockey and basketball, you know, all the way up to your general manager and people in key positions. And, uh, you know, Kroenke's just had, uh, uh, you know, the ability to, to put people in those jobs and it trickles down and you, you build winners. And, uh, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's true on the hockey side. I'm just, you know, I'm not worried, but I will say that, uh, you know, the, the talent out there and obviously the Rocky or I should say the abs were banged up and, you know, it was tough not having uh, Gabe, Gabe Landeskog, who's such an inspiring captain. And hopefully Gabe still has some hockey left in him with that uh, that injury he's been uh, he's been dealing with. And uh, but there is a chance it's a career ender, I think. But, uh, you know, but anyway, uh, I'll tell you, watching the uh, watching the Golden Knights down the stretch, even had the abs been healthy. I think uh, I think the Golden Knights just had that look, and uh, you know every year there's that that one team that wins it all, like the Avs last year. And at the end of the day, when they're raising the cup, you can see, man, it's so it's really easy to see why they won it. And I kind of look that way at the Golden Knights this year. You know, boy, they they really put it together and were a great team down the stretch. I don't know much about hockey, but I do know about momentum, and I like to do my sports wagering. So I started hammering my bets on Las Vegas because I could see they were going to win. So yeah. 
Do you do you uh, partake of Colorado's legalized weed drink? You know, I don't. I've got uh, other ways to blow money, and uh, you know. <laughs> well, Whether... you're you're a hockey handicapper. Maybe you could make money. <laughs> Why you're just not a gambler? Uh, yeah, I just am not. But I I know people who are. I think, but and it's always amazing to me. I was talking to uh, some folks who really do. You know, I, I they didn't really, you know, they, they budget for it and say, I'm not going to go over, you know, say during football season, it's going to say, OK, I've set aside a few hundred bucks. And when I'm out, I'm out. Uh, but I'm always amazed. I mean, so like going into the second quarter, what do you think the uh, you know, the if, if you add up the, the the numbers from the scoreboard at the end of the half, what it's going to the, the the number of things you can bet on during the course of a game. Yeah, so fun. <laughs> so look, fun blows me away it's it's you know they they do make it uh, very easy for people to part with their heart and money i'll say that come on you're a sports fan and i know basketball may not be your favorite but it's one of your favorites right and the nuggets run you could see that coming once jamal got healthy you could have gotten like 12 to 1 odds like i did middle of the season good for you i'm just so where are you taking me to dinner, buddy? Well, I don't bet that much. And that's why, <laughs> you know, tell your friends you don't have to bet hundreds of dollars. Just bet enough to give you a little interest in the game and have an opinion and back it up. Anyway, I think I can control it. I have a lot of fun, and they give you a lot of opportunities. So I think you could handle it. I mean, you like hamburgers, right? right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, you don't and- need but 12 hamburgers a day. Maybe once enough. <laughs> <laughs> once once my, my cardiologist would say, I got to be one and done on the big, beautiful, greasy cheeseburgers every day. All right. Well, talk to us about Nikola Jokic, because to me, I've seen a lot of sports heroes come and go. I had Spencer Haywood on my show. I had Bill Walton on two weeks ago, and those were boyhood heroes. But honestly, I've never seen somebody as great as Jokic, and it's been true for the last three years. I got totally screwed out of my MVP bet this year. You should have won, and you shouldn't bet on things that are subjective. But I've rarely seen anything like it. Elway was great, but not quite as great as this. The only season that I can compare and, and the flash of greatness is Terrell Davis in his prime. Remember how exciting oh, that was? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, every time he touched the ball. Yes. Absolutely. So so did Joker turn you on like that? Because he did it for me. He did for me because I think that uh, uh, he he just uh, had so many people who follow basketball and played basketball at an elite level. And they were just kind of stumped because he was not this Adonis out there with this, you know, this perfectly chiseled body and these these fluid moves and everything else. But um, he just had developed his game to the point that, uh, you know, it's pretty much unstoppable on a lot of nights and to see all the, between the passing and that little, uh, you know, that little, uh, fluttering, uh, little, little jump shot from, from the key that the floater, uh, yeah. the floater you know, stuff like that. It's, you know, his, his ability to combine like things like that, the passing of a Larry bird, and he's just got so many attributes built into his game that are just off the charts. And, uh, and the, the supporting cast, obviously Jamal, but, uh, you know, Aaron Gordon and some just easy guys to root for and along with the head coach. So yeah, it was, it was a, it was a dream season. And, uh, 
you know, it's about time. I'm thinking back to the George Carl teams and, you know, Doug Moe had some terrific teams with Calvin Natt and English, Fat Lever, Hanslick, you know, Wayne Cooper, but they just couldn't get over the hump. In so many years, the hump was the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, so that really made it sweet this year that uh, the Lakers, uh, you know, were in the way and we got by them to win it all. You go way back, but I wonder if you root for the Nuggets against the Bulls. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the uh, the Bulls, Reinsdorf is a tough owner to <laughs> to, to root for. But the, uh, the Jordan years were unbelievable. There's no doubt about it. Um, but, uh, oh, no, Nuggets, Nuggets all the way. But I will say being a hockey guy, growing up playing hockey, and, uh, you know, it's always tough when the, uh, when the Avs play the Blackhawks because my loyalty to the uh, Blackhawks goes back to uh, about the time I was a toddler. <laughs> so, uh, and are you, are, everybody needs to know, are you still playing? Uh, I, I, I hung up the skates about six months ago. Why? Yeah, Why still, so soon? Well, you know, it's it's interesting you ask, and uh, it's a kind of a personal medical thing. I developed a heart flutter and uh, just made it difficult to go out there and uh, exert myself to that uh, to that extent. Uh, you know, every Friday with my pals, I'd get out on the ice skate hard for about 30 seconds, you know, and come stumbling back to the bench because I was out of gas. So, but we're going to, we're going to figure out the hard thing. It, uh, you know, I might be on my way to a pacemaker or something, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully uh, a, a year from now, I'll be able to get back out there because, you know, that's the beauty of hockey. And some people think, oh, you're going to lose your teeth and everything else. And, you know, if you play with a bunch of guys who just like to have fun, it's great cardio. Uh, you have great stories, uh, laugh over a couple of beers after the game. And uh, it's, it's really great fun, uh, no matter how old you are to get out on the ice and, and slap the puck around. Another thing where you seem to have fun, back in the day when politics were a little simpler, you were one of the best in moderating debates. I haven't seen you do it as much lately, but how many debates do you figure you've moderated through the years? I would say, you know, maybe about, it might only be about 20. I'm thinking, Craig, we used to have our relationship with, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the channel six and everything else. So we would do a lot of stuff in, in tandem with, uh, with those folks. And, uh, um, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, Oh, what's Aaron's last name? Uh, longtime political reporter. Aaron Harbor. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron would be involved and, uh, and, and, and put everything together and, uh, channel four would, would, would air those as well. So we were a partner in it, but Lynn Bartles would be part of it. Aaron would be there. Uh, you know, we'd always have maybe one other reporter and, uh, I tell you what, it was just fat. They were great. They were absolutely great because typically we, we would have smart candidates, uh, with, with thoughtful discussion on the issues. And I think, uh, you know, there's still no better no better way for people to learn about a candidate than watching them uh, debate an opponent, uh, you know, with 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 good moderators and good reporters, smart reporters uh, who can kind of keep everybody on track and call out the BS when the, the candidates try to toss it out there. So they were great fun. I thoroughly enjoyed them. You know, speaking of calling out BS, and I'd like a little personal feedback, even though we're talking to a, a larger audience. You follow me on Twitter, and yeah. I kind of have taken it as my task to monitor talk radio and its role in hurting our society right now, right now by, you know, not asking tough questions of Lauren Boebert. Everybody on talk radio endorsed Lauren Boebert, for example. 
I don't think that's right. And for a long time, it was my job, and I got paid well to be the person who pushed back. And I keep doing it on Twitter. And I remember you saying to me, keep it up. And uh, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing, if I should let it go, but it seems to me that these people need to be called out and somebody needs to monitor them because yeah. it's leading us in a bad direction. I don't know if you want to expand on it, but I remember you saying that to me and I appreciated it because sometimes I think, why am I doing this? But I just think that people need to know what's going on. Yeah, um, which is great. And you absolutely should continue to call uh, call out the falsehoods and uh, the BS. But it's interesting now, don't you kind of also get the impression that the the people who might be listening to those outlets, I mean, their their minds are made up. Correct. And the people who people who refuse to listen to those outlets. Uh, you know, th their minds are made up as well. For example, I, I think I suspect what station you're talking about in Denver. I'm talking about a couple of them. Yeah. Yeah. Or I, maybe I, three I of them. Yeah. I mean, if yeah, you look I, at KOA, KNUS, and KHOW, I don't yeah. even count KLC, but I mean, they, they, it's all Trump all the time and it's bullshit. And, and that's unfair to a few people at KOA, like the morning news. But right. come on, where's the balance? You know, I think balance would be expensive. It might be a it might be a cost that they're not willing to bear mm -hmm. in terms of saying, you know, we've we've got these rock rib followers and listeners. We know what they want, and if we don't give them exactly that on a daily basis, you know, we could lose right out of the gate by taking a controversial stand, at least controversial for our loyal listeners. We could lose twenty percent of our audience right out of the gate. Uh, by by you know by calling it out, so which is unfortunate, but you know I think that the economics drive the picture, and I think that they might say you know what we make a tidy little profit with uh, doing what we do, and uh, you know but we're, we're, we we don't want to risk that by all of a sudden coming out and challenging people like Lauren Boebert. Right, and people can't disagree anymore. Crossfire would that work today? Capitalist and Silverman. I mean, yeah. it, it, it just can't work in a MAGA era because to me, Trump and Trumpism is so bad. It's aligned with Putin and Putinism. Toward the end, you had to report on this Ukraine war. That's another yeah. thing where I don't think there's two sides to it. You've got an aggressor beating on and bullying a, a, a sovereign country. Right. I mean... Better stand up to them now. You know, some people saying, well, you know, the expense and what have you. It's kind of like, well, OK, so uh, down goes Ukraine. And, you know, maybe uh, five years from now, Putin decides that, uh, you know, that he's got an issue with Poland, a territory, make a made up territorial issue with with some other country. You know, at some point you've got to you've got to stand up to the aggression and say this. You know, we're not going to tolerate this. We're just not going to tolerate. I'm it. ready to vote for you. You can move across the street, <laughs> run against Lauren Boebert, or hell, announce for president. What about it? You could be a politician. I bet oh, you've been God. approached. Will you do it? Uh, absolutely not, Craig. But thank you for no. I just uh, I'm uh, looking for you know you know hopefully doing uh, you know so sitting on a couple a couple of charitable boards and working on my golf game and uh, maybe learning how to fly fish. That that could be the extent of uh, my adventures for the for the remainder of my days. All right. If you I did, if you did, if you did change your 
path and say, I am going to be a politician, who would you model yourself after? And in your time, four decades plus in the media, I mean, who who have you seen and said, that's a great leader, that's somebody we can trust? Boy, that's a uh, you know that's that's a, a difficult one from from both parties. I I think it's you know thinking back to the uh, uh, you know the the issues that Pat Schroeder was involved with, and you know you had Gary Hart who was so brilliant on foreign policy. But uh, yeah, when, when it comes down to to, to just one, uh, that's hard. I, I really I, I I can't pick one. Okay, uh, well at least she didn't say Carrie Lake. You know she's not the only. <laughs> She's not the only former newscaster who's tried to achieve high political office. This lieutenant governor in Texas, Dan Patrick, you know, he was a newscaster in Houston, sportscaster. Yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of people make that transition. Why does that happen? And can you give us any guidance on whether it's it's somebody we can trust, somebody who uh, is a news anchor? Because Carrie Lake, she, she seems a little off. Yeah, well, you know, part of it, uh, going into a political campaign, and you look at somebody like Adam Frisch up against Boebert, you know, nobody knew Adam. I mean, outside of Aspen, of course. But, uh, you know, so a lot of it for somebody just jumping in is developing some name recognition. So, you know, obviously... You're halfway there as a local news anchor, depending on your ratings or whatever. People know you. And I think for a for a, somebody trying to a novice politician trying to get into the game, you know, half the battle is getting people to at least recognize who you are. So the guy down in Texas or at Kerry Lake, you know, they get they get a head start on that because they already enjoy some notoriety because of their careers. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, I think, you know, it, 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 at least for those two. I can see why, you know, why there was the temptation to get in that and just the narcissism of just, you know, people watch me on television and, you know, now I want to get involved in something else where everybody will ask my opinion. Yes. I mean, it's got to go to a lot of people's heads to be on TV all the time. That's the thing about you, Jim. Nobody ever thought that it went to your head. But what was it like to be on camera all the time to have to have dress up? Your tie just so, your hair just right. Do you let down now? Do you ever put on a suit anymore? No, I'm trying to think. The last time I did, it might have been, uh, could have been a wedding. Could have been a wedding and a wedding reception. And uh, it's all bow ties now. I had a lot of fun with the bow ties for a while. When I was on a Channel 4, we called it Bow Tie Friday. And uh, anyway, I you know, decided to go back to the more traditional look, but I've got about uh, about 30 bow ties so that whenever I do get invited someplace where a tie is required, I'm going going with the bow tie and it's a lot of fun. But no, I, it's very rarely I'm not I'm wearing something other other than, uh, you know, golf, golf shirts and shorts and flip flops. That's that's pretty much my my attire for the day. All right. At least you haven't gone to sweatpants. All right. Uh, I'll tell you, it's been great to get to know you better, Jim Benneman. I've admired you for a long time. And I wanted to come to that roast of you at the Comedy Works. But you know what happened? Uh-oh. Yeah, what, what did happen? Well, there seems to be a scheduling glitch. because. Well, we're just, uh, is this because of a Rosh Hashanah? No, it's Passover. First Passover. night of Passover, little Passover, Passover Seder action. I mean, were there any comedians yeah. there? I thought all comedians were Jewish. 
Uh, now, Kevin, Kevin Fitzgerald's an honorary Jew. Is there a tape of that show anywhere that Jewish <laughs> people can watch? You know, we, we all assumed that anything at the comedy works, they would have just always had a camera rolling on everything that appears on that stage, but there wasn't. You know, the uh, the Benjamin kids uh, uh, just on their phone recorded some clips and that kind of stuff. But uh, but sadly, there's not. It was terrific. We raised raised more than twenty thousand dollars for some assorted charities. And uh, so it was an unbelievable send off. Who got you, who, who got you the best? What line still sticks with you? Any? Oh, my gosh. There were uh, it's uh, too many to recall. But I think the highlight for me was, you know, Kathy Walsh, my old uh co-anchor at Channel 4 on the weekends way back in the day. You know, Kathy always uh, so highly respected and her medical coverage later on in her career and everything else. And just her reporting was always first rate. Uh, but, you know, Kathy was a pretty buttoned down, you know, a, a serious presence on the anchor desk. And uh, so I think that, you know, she's a Jersey girl who can uh, can throw, throw around uh, body humor uh, better than anyone I've ever known. So, you know, Kathy got up and brought the house down. And I think that was the big surprise for a lot of people I talked to. They were like, I can't believe Kathy Walsh was was the, the person we just saw on that stage. Oh, my gosh. She's so sweet. I voted for her to be the voice of the train at DIA. I think <laughs> I had her on my radio show to do that. Anyway, Jim, you are great. I want you to uh, put on real pants and get involved in politics. <laughs> uh, you've been great to do this podcast. You are a huge part of Colorado. I'm glad you're staying here, just like everybody we love. You love Colorado. You are Colorado. And I'm really grateful for your time. Well, Craig, it's a, uh, it's a special place. That's why so many of us have gravitated here. And I'm jealous of the good folks who uh, are actual natives and uh, spent their entire lives in this great state of ours. But uh, there are a lot of serious issues facing uh, facing the state. And, uh, you know, let's just hope that the, uh, uh, the the folks at the state capitol keep an eye on the prize and uh, uh, try to try to come up with equitable solutions so that everybody has a fair shot of really enjoying, you know, all, all that they can be here in Colorado. Thanks, Jim. We'll follow you on Twitter where you are sarcastic and smart, and don't be afraid to get political. All right, Craig. Have a great day, my friend. All right, you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined, it's all set up. So there's, it's like the, the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. 
There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to LLC.com And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Hey everybody, for all of your legal needs, why not start with me? 734-7156-303-734-7156. I've been practicing law in Colorado for over 42 years. And I know a lot of people. And if I can't do right by you, I can steer you in the right direction. My number, 303-734-7156. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims, a voice for people with legal difficulties. Didn't even wait for me to do a toast. I'm here. And my twelve my twelve year old Scotch is waiting to clink your glass. Lachaim. Lachaim. Where's your glass? I'm using that little ice cream All right. instead. All right. How's your Cheers. ice cream? It's, it's excellent. It's excellent. Thank you so much. This is the way to end a Friday. Come over to my buddies, have a little scotch, a little Hagen dazs and, uh, and have an episode. Well, we are celebrating. Do you know why? What's to celebrate? Oh, come on. Everything. Exactly. First of all, there's the nuggets. There's the nuggets. That's still recent news. No, what about last night? What? Did you see what happened? I'm, eating, you my, eat your ice eating, cream? I'm eating my ice cream. Okay. No, what? What happened they last night? They had a night? great draft. Julian Strother, Jalen Pickett, and Hunter Tyson. Yeah. All prospective complimentary players for the Joker. So is that, is that a good thing? Had you heard of these guys? Of course. Julian Strother from Gonzaga. Oh. They've been a powerhouse. Now, have you ever heard of Lewis Tomlinson? Maybe a dull bell. Lewis Tomlinson is a singer, I think, a musician who was playing Red Rocks the other night. Oh, yes. That's what that's the bell. Yes. During the storm. Yes. Oh, man. You sent me that video. I watched it. It was it was scary. I mean, man, that those hail that hail was coming down. What would you have done? I would have protected my wife's head. I would have draped my body over her and tried to hustle into some kind of protection. All right, keep eating your ice cream while I tell you some other things you taught me this week. New words. You know why? Because what was the song you submitted? Why are we celebrating, among other reasons? The solstice. Exactly. The beginning of summer. I'd like to say the end of spring, which we did not salute. Okay. And I have a slight quibble with your song called Little Hummingbird. All right, let's hear. I associate a hummingbird with summer, but you made it spring. Well, they come in the springtime, though. You, you start I've hearing them. I've never seen them in the spring. 
I've been hearing there Hummer's Hummingbird for, for six weeks now. What two months, season Craig. do you associate a hummingbird with? Well, I mean, early summer for sure, but they okay. come in May. That's all right. They're here in May. We're in June. Yeah. This past week was both spring and summer. Yes. Your point exactly. Yes. So much light. Oh, it's a beautiful day now. Mm. Yes, because you're drinking that scotch and you took the coffee ice cream. Way to go. I gave him a little ice cream. He said, oh, my God, where would you get this? It says Haagen-Dazs right there on the little container. <laughs> He's still eating it. He uses the little spoon. I brought him a big spoon, but he likes the little utility. What's up with that, Troubadour? I'm worried about you. It's here. They gave it to us, and I'm going to use it. We okay. still have to wash that Thank spoon. you very much. You can if you want, this. you can play spoons. Have you ever done that as part of your music? No, I'm not a spoon player. Okay. I've seen it done. All right. Anyway, what's another word for a hummingbird? How much do you really know about hummingbirds? Apparently not as much as you. All right, we will. Yeah, because I've been know. waiting for you. What Let's is the other name? Let's get on to it, the topics a Latin, of the day. Can a Latin, I tell you a word? Ahead. Yes. Yeah, it is a Latin word. Okay. You want to know that word? Sure, I do. Why, do you think you'll recognize it? No. Trochilidae. T-R-O-C-H-I-L-I-D-A-E. Trochilidae. Mm-hmm. Sounds like something you used to swallow. And do you know what a... Oh, my God. Do you know what the... Uh, it's a sunbird, a hummingbird. And you know what one subspecies, subfamily of the hummingbird is? No. The lesbine. Really? Yes, the lesbine. Same root word from the island of Lesbos. And it comes from Cicero, a poem that he wrote. Anyway, this hummingbird thing is deep. Did you also know what it's related to? The dinosaur. Oh, you got one. <laughs> you got one. Who would have imagined they'd be relating hummingbirds to dinosaurs? Now, that all happened since, you know, we were children. As far as this new concept of what dinosaurs were were like and that birds are, are the remnants, right? Okay. Since we're on the quiz and you wrote the song, Little Hummingbird, as opposed to what? A fat hummingbird? Big fat hummingbirds, right. We don't okay, want Okay, what is the size variation? On hummingbirds. Significant. There's some big there's some big hummingbirds. Could you put it in a weight, a quantity? So a little one's probably like half an ounce. And I'd say a big one, those big hummingbirds, which I've never seen, um, I don't know, I would guess maybe like six ounces. Could you put it in metric terms? No. <laughs> I can't. They go from two grams to 20 grams. Okay, so 10 times. Okay. Wow. And how long does sex last between a hummingbird and its mate? I knew we'd be going there eventually. <laughs> well, it is the birds and the bees. So one would think pretty quickly, wouldn't wouldn't one, since everything else about them is quick. They can hover. <laughs> yes, they can hover for periods of time. I was I don't know, I mean, I don't know, twenty five minutes. <laughs> Three to five seconds. And you two can check out Wikipedia. So I'm telling you, I learned a lot. I came across a word that I haven't heard before, but I feel it tonight. Esperance. Have you ever heard that? E-S-P-E-R-A-N-C-E. Hope. Yes. The feeling that what is wanted can be accomplished. That events will turn out for the best. Yes. Do you know why I feel that way? Because it's the solstice and the Nuggets won. All right. And they arrested that 
uh, asked who shot up the Nugget celebration. Oh, that's good. Yes, except it's sad because he's born to fourteen ninety nine. So what would that make him twenty twenty four? Right. Kenneth Blakely, come on, we got to get rid of gun crimes. You saw my column about that in the Colorado. I read. Center. I read your column. I thought All it was right. very well, good. Thank you. But let's go on to hop, happier topics like this. Justice for Vladimir Putin. Have you followed what's been going on? No. Dissension. That's the thing about really bad guys. You can trace it out from any epic story, comic book. Dissension within within Russia? Yes. They're fighting. The Wagner group seems that there was a bombing of a brigade, and the commander of the Wagner group said, what the hell? And we're going to come after you, and now they're barricading the streets of Moscow, and it's internal dissension. I hope a civil war. I hope it's all going down. No, right I've heard now. speculation that the head of the Wagner Group might make a make a play for yes. power. Right. This was some months ago when I first read about it that people didn't necessarily trust him. Those in power, right? Putin's correct. Right. Putin's group. And then, have you heard who else is fighting apropos of this topic? Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene. What are they doing? They're fighting each other? Yes, because Marjorie Taylor Greene has gained power by sucking up to Kevin McCarthy. Some say, hey, it's really a suck up. And others say, yeah, it's like Kerry Lake down in Mar-a-Lago with Donald Trump. Anyway, I haven't seen any of it. But she's now considered an enemy of the Freedom Caucus. And Lauren Boebert, much to the consternation of Kevin McCarthy, who's supposed to be running the House, introduced a motion to impeach Joe Biden without going through any committee or any of the niceties. So MTG Marjorie Taylor Greene, she confronted Lauren on the floor of the House. There's video. You can't quite hear the sound, but there have been witness accounts. Do you know what MTG called Little Bobo? No. Little bitch. (laughs) It's like Little Hummingbird. (laughs) <laughs> well, not too much like it, but but uh, yeah, that's it's kind got of a the little uh, in it. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a Trump crony thing to do, right? You you nickname your enemies, but they're both Trump cronies. Right, that's the thing. They're starting to fight with each other. Right. Yeah. yeah. And Jen Ellis has fallen off the Trump train now. Really? So oh, what's yeah. the, the attorney She's backing DeSantis? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, the infighting is unbelievable. And then in Colorado, this nutcase, Dave Williams, the Colorado Republican head, he uh, castigated Roger Hudson, a guy I know, some others who said to Montana, you really shouldn't kick that transsexual legislator out of your assembly. And then they got castigated for doing that. And then Coors Bear, in response to Bud, did you hear about Bud Light? How no. they were in trouble? No. You don't follow this? No. Anyway, what, advertising? They put some... a transsexual on uh, a beer can, and it got around Dylan Maloney or something, some famous transsexual. I never heard of him or her or I whatever. I didn't know there's famous transsexuals. Well, it was so much and such a reaction on right-wing radio, et cetera, that Dan Kaplis won't drink a Bud Light anymore, and God knows who would. Oh. And it's caused their revenue to really drop. But, you know, it's because of Pride Month. They don't like all these companies participating in Pride Month. And so they're going to have boycott this, that, the other. 
But Coors, they've doubled down. And the Denver Nuggets, right after they won, they said, we support Pride Month. Right. And it's Pride Weekend. I support gay rights. I know you do. But... Right. I heard there was some little uh, a little tiff with uh, Starbucks. They apparently took down some some uh, transgender support. I don't know what it was, what what it would have been in the in the store. But uh, although Starbucks has, like you say, doubled down on on supporting. Right. LGBTQ community. Right. And here's more infighting because Steve Rames who brought, uh, who's that Motor City madman, Ted Nugent, Colorado, to support him. He's a wild man when it comes to guns. And the red flag law that I supported twice on the radio, Brockler supported it once, and then he sold out the cause. And it got passed anyway. But a lot of these sheriffs said, I'll never enforce it, like Steve Reams up in Weld County and Justin Smith, another conservative sheriff in Larimer. But they did for the good of their community. They started enforcing the law every now and again because you don't want crazy people with guns. No. We and so don't. Now, now the Rocky Mountain gun owners have done everything they can to go after these guys. And the head of it, the successor to Dudley Brown, is a guy named Taylor Rhodes, who was featured this afternoon, Friday afternoon, on the Dan Kaplan show saying... Uh, we're going to go after Steve Reams because he's too soft on guns. So these guys are eating their own. And Christy Burton Brown was on, hosting for Dan, who's been on vacation. Good for you, Dan. But holy cow, has that real estate on radio gone right wing to support Rocky Mountain gun owners? Are you kidding me? Dan Kaplitz never went that far before. And Christy Burton Brown the homeschooled Christian nationalist, former head of the Republican Party. She takes over the show and she brings on that crap and let the civil war begin. And you know what she did yesterday to Jared Polis? We've had the harsh weather. We already talked about it. We had the tornado yesterday in the Highlands Ranch, which is in what county? Is that Arapahoe County? It's Douglas County. It's on the other side of uh, County Line Road. Right. And so in any event, that's where it got hurt, Douglas County, conservative area. Right. So there was a press release talking about weather relief for people affected by the bad storm, and it did not include Douglas County. But it was talking about the storm the day before. Remember, we had a horrible event. Yeah, the night before. Right. So we had two straight days. Yep. And so Christy Byrne Brown read the Polis release and said, wow, this is uh, talking about counties other than Douglas, but it was about the day before. So she put out, Polis doesn't care about Douglas County. <laughs> I mean, there's just no shame, and there's no right. intelligence there either. Right. Anyway. Behind so, the sniping, we could right. all do with less. And then the Republicans on the far right and the really rich guys, they're being exposed by ProPublica. Justice Sam Alito, have you heard about his exposure? No, what? He he took 
He took a trip from a guy named Paul Singer, who's a billionaire with a lot of business before the court. Right. He I got know, arranged by Leonard I know Leo. there was the Clarence Thomas trip. Right. This is the, his colleague, okay. Sam Alito, okay. the guy who wrote the opinion taking away the reproductive freedoms of women everywhere. That's right. What did he do? He took a trip to Alaska on a private jet. Now, most of us don't know what that's like, but you might. And he went... And he stayed at this incredible lodge, and somehow he was able to catch like 500-pound fish. They all three were, and they're posing in a picture, and he never disclosed it. It's a trip worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. This guy had obvious business before the court, and he said, well, I'm using the Clarence Thomas Antonin Scalia personal hospitality exception. It's like... When you took a private jet ride, it was your in-laws, okay? Right. So that counts. And and so you and I are friends, so that maybe I can take you some, or you took me to your cabin up in the mountains, okay? That's personal hospitality. Right. But he had never met this guy. He was being introduced, hey, you want to come on a trip? Well, why do you think this guy wants to take you? Then right. his excuse about not listing the cost of the flight he said, I understood this seat was going to be vacant anyway. So why would I report it? Right. I mean, it's just laughable. And it's being picked apart. Jesse Wegman, who's been a guest of mine in the New York Times, just uses Alito's own words. And Alito, because he got asked by ProPublica right before publication, hey, we're about to go with this story. What do you want to say? What do you want to do? You know what he did? No, what did he do? He wrote a preemptory... Oh, that's right. Op-ed yeah. in the Wall Street Journal. Right, right, right. And it, it, it got published with the I headline, ProPublica is unfair. Well, how does the Wall Street Journal know that? They haven't read the story. Neither has Alito. And why is the Wall Street Journal the one who leaked the Dobbs opinion? How do they have this close relationship with Alito where he gets to publish on demand to rebut a harsh story? Makes Before me think, the story. Yeah, he was the leaker. He's the guy who leaked the Dobbs opinion to lock in all the votes he needed to show, hey, if this... Now, is this your... Is this no, your... this is widely believed. So yeah. it's all coming out. And Adam Schiff, just my final point, gives me Esperance right. because he was elevated by the condemnation of these House Republicans who are just being puppet mastered by Donald Trump. They do his bidding... And they censured the guy, said, holy cow, you said something about Trump being connected with Russia. I say that on almost every podcast. And they want to censure him for that because it's the truth. The fates of Putin and Trump are related. You'll give me that point, won't you? I'll give you that point to an extent, you know. To, to to an extent, but what it, tell me what censure actually involves. So when it's they just, it's censure like what they did to Jen Ellis, saying that we disprove you, it's bad because it's the place where you work, right? And you're getting a, and how a long lot, does it's uh, forever on the historical record? They were talking about fining him, and maybe more will happen. It's the start of a referral to the ethics board, and it's because of this, because the Christopher Steele dossier may have been wrong about. Hookers peeing on Trump right. and Barack Obama's former suite. That never made sense. And so the Trump side, they take 
one or two things that may be wrong, and they try to say, well, then everything's wrong. Sure. No, it's not. Right. And they fell flat on their face with this Durham report. This guy, a prosecutor with no hair, but chin hair. And he, he seemed so stupid. Adam Schiff made a monkey out of him. And when they censured Adam Schiff, did you hear what the Dems did? Now, when was that? How, how, how recently Wednesday did they? Wednesday night. Okay. Yeah. No. What did the Dems do? Backed him up. They started chanting. Okay. You know what they chanted? Shame. Shame, oh. shame, shame. And some Adam, Adam, Adam. He's good. To me, he's like the right. Joker. So I used to sit in my car and listen yeah. to his speeches during that first oh, impeachment. Yeah. He no, made he a point. Solid. And yeah. he said, if we don't do something, some bad shit's going to happen. Although he was far more eloquent than me. And damned if he wasn't right. But now they're over the target. And I think Putin and Trump this is their summer of consequence. And Jack Smith, he's going like crazy. Pretty soon the January 6th charges are going to come from him. The fake elector scheme in Georgia coming from Jack Smith and Fonnie Willis. It's just a question of how uh, the Republicans react. And they've got their own civil war. So I'm happy. I'm happy about your song. One more thing that's kind of magical for me. And I sent it to you because I want you to watch it. Bill Walton, the guy who graced me with his presence yeah. a couple of shows ago. Right. His ESPN special is fantastic. I sent it to you. People can watch it on ESPN+. Plus. Right. It's called I Am the Luckiest. Right. That's such a cool title. And he protested yeah. the Vietnam War. He got arrested. He's... He's a little older than you are, and he had to deal with this and his social activism. Then he got involved with Patty Hearst. Remember that whole thing? Of course. And the FBI came knocking on his door oh. up in Portland. Okay. Oh, my gosh. What a great... I'd forgotten a lot about Bill Walton, but I just think he's got a lot of wisdom. You know who else has wisdom? Jerry Garcia. Yes, his good buddy. <laughs> his good buddy. And Jim Beneman, my guest today. Oh, What okay. a great guest he is. Yes, he's the anchor for News 4 for decades. I look forward to hearing the interview. Yep. Learned through the process. I learned about hummingbirds. Now, what's that quality called where they change colors? Do you know what that word is? Um, it's, uh, it's part of your song, right? The, the, uh, you catch the it, color flash? Right. Right, but the changing of the colors. Yes, they the give off different. The, the, you're the, close. Uh, F. What is it? Iridescence. Iridescence. Yes. Flash of color. The scotch is working on me. I'll tell you what's something was working on you for this song because it's kind of a flight of fancy, right? Right. I wanted to write a song about a hummingbird. I love hummingbirds, and uh, and there's just being the harbingers of spring, and they're so beautiful. You talk about Esperance, hope. I mean, if there's any, if there's any creature. That 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 appeals to to you that goes straight to your heart in terms of like representing hope. I think hummingbird does it, and uh, so this song came from that. And then I thought, well, we need to have a love song in there as well. So, and 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 a, a, a lover longing for his lost love uh, is even more poignant. So that's what that's what came about. And I know one of the things that you really dig about hummingbirds is their migration. Some are stationary. And did you know they're only in America? 
I mean, North America? No, they're in South America. Right, but in the Americas. In the Americas, yeah. Right. Why, no, why they would that in the be? Old, they're not in the old world, in Europe. I know. Right. Isn't that strange? Right. Why? And you wonder, are they in Hawaii? You'd think they're doing I don't know. I'm going to have to go to Hawaii to check that out. But the things you put in the song, I think you were thinking about that Alaska to Mexico migration. Right. That's right. And then that city in your song, what was it, Puerto Saba? Orizaba. It's a mountain. I climbed it. It's a volcano. Oh, it's a real place? 18,000 feet. It's an 18,000 foot mountain. How do you spell it? O-R-I-Z-A-B-A. Orizaba. Orizaba. Yep, yep, yep. Mount Orizaba, it's the highest mountain in Mexico. And I think it's the second highest mountain in the Americas. It's 18, I mean, it, 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 um, it's right up there with Denali, which is another 18,000 foot mountain. Isn't there a little flamenco in this song? No, there's no Yeah, little, it sounds no like flamenco, flamenco in there. You mean, what do you mean? <laughs> There's some Mexican sound in there. Oh, that's, well, yeah, that's, Spanish. I don't know. I mean, yes, what there is is the mandolin, which kind of takes that up. It's a little bit, it's a little bit of a, of a Spanish feel. Yeah, yeah. How many different instruments you got in this thing? So that is all me. That that I recorded just in my little room. I know, but how home. many different instruments did you use? I, I don't know. I mean, the main ones were the were the guitar and mandolin. And then I, I used, um, um, oh, and I play bass. And then I did some percussion. Yeah, a little shaker. But that's it. Mm-hmm. It's a good song. And I noticed that it's different than most songs because it doesn't have, you know, an instrumental bridge because it's like a hummingbird, right? It's in constant flight. Right. <laughs> and it's short. I hadn't thought about that. It's but... short. It's one of your shortest songs. Okay. Do you realize how short it is? Under three minutes? Under two and a half minutes. Okay. 2.28. I guess it said what it had to say and then it, Flew off. Well, if it would have been a big hummingbird, say 20 grams, maybe it would have been a longer song. Could have been a five-minute song. Next time, maybe you can include the sex. That only lasts three to five seconds. <laughs> I'm going to hold off on making any comments on that. <laughs> anyway, it's the summer. Let's celebrate with the hummingbird song. Oh, one more thing reason to have es- Esperance. Isn't that the root word for Esperanza? Now I love sure. that name. Sure. I never I never thought about that. So Esperanza, so who 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 was that in literature? Is that is that a is that like in Don Quixote or something? Is I don't know. It's a beautiful name. And it, yeah, I mean Esperanza. Yeah, in in Latin, I'm sure it's it's Latin based. Esperanza, I like the name but of I your, recognized it from I Spain. like the name of your new album. That's our first announcement. Do you want to do it right now? I think we should. It's the start of this summer. Yes. I like the name. Why don't you announce the name? Okay, I have a new CD. It's called Connected. It's on. It's on all the streaming, all the streaming services. You know, YouTube and SoundCloud and Spotify. You were supposed to wait for my question. Sorry. How do we get connected? So the way you get connected is you simply ask your smart device, play. Or, or, re, or, or state to the, to the device. Play Dave Gunders, Connected. That's all. And there it is. How many new songs? 16 songs. We already heard that beautiful train song. What's that called? Train and Coming? Train Keeps Coming. Train Keeps Coming. And remember we worried that maybe the nuggets were the train that was going to hit the wall at the end? You were a little worried. 
I think it's Donald Trump and Vlad Putin. I think so. Raise your glass again. All right. Let's drink to that. Raise your raise your water. Cheers. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. And this is to Esperanzas everywhere. Little hummingbird, little jewel in the sun, come to my window, flash a color and then you're gone. Every spring I listen, and your arrival stirs my soul. Bright feathers glisten in reds and greens and blues and gold. My true love left me And she's been gone such a long, long time Won't you go and find her Tell her that I miss her so South of Orizaba In a garden Somewhere down in Mexico She left And I don't know why But I've been alone like I could die Little hummingbird Little burst of make-believe It's spring and you've come back Bringing good news to me My baby's coming home She told me that she loves me true Little hummingbird Little mystery Perfection's what I see in you Cars is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is, you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like, I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. 
you have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. Craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Hey, I told you this would be one heck of a good show, and I believe we delivered. Thanks to everybody involved, Jim Benneman. Have a great retirement. I hope you get back playing hockey real soon. Dave Gunders, you are the man, especially with ice cream and a little liquor in your system. Mazel tov on Connected. Thank you for listening. Tell a friend. Share with everybody. It's just, what, a push of your thumb? Thank you. Have a great week. Happy summer. A summer of consequence. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.